called The Bottomless Cup, based on uh, this book, Bottomless Cup, that uh, uh, I published back in 2019. And uh, I would suggest if you missed the last two weeks, that you go back and, and listen to them, because uh, these weeks build week on week. And, uh, and just a reminder, all of our messages, all of our uh, Sunday talks can be found on our website, evangelbathurst.ca. Just click on, oh, I think I made a slide for this actually this morning. Um, click on the sermons tab up in the, to the right. And, uh, or you can go to youtube.com slash evangelbathurst and find our content there. Or if you're a podcaster, you can search Evangel Bathurst in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. We're in all of those places now. So, but I would suggest you just uh, uh, catch up and uh, follow along with us. Um, we're, the, the book and the message is based, as Pam said this morning, on the passage Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. We're going to read it again. Um, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in week one, we focused on the, the phrase, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And we talked about how God is a God of invitation. He comes seeking us, and he wants to, he wants to bring us close, not push us away. Um, and, and for a good reason, because uh, God is the only one who can truly help or heal us. He's the place where we can find rest, right? Um, and then in week two, we focused on I will give you rest and talked about how Jesus wants us to find rest in him from religion, rest in him from the troubles of life, and that he's the place where we can have our soul restored when we're beat up by the world, Right? And today, we're going to focus in on the phrase, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's using a very specific cultural language from, that, that was used by a first century Jew. Uh, and if we don't understand the meaning of this phrase, then we miss a significant part of what Jesus is saying to us. Now, yes, behind the phrase is a farming reference to a physical yoke, right? A wooden collar worn by a pair of oxen or horses. Um, so that they could share the burden of pulling a cart or a plow. And yes, the meanings that you've probably heard preached about this, of Jesus carrying the load and, and we're kind of along for the ride and all those metaphors, 
They, they all have application here, but it's not the primary meaning of what Jesus says when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So to understand this, we need to back up and talk about uh, the educational system that was in place for the average Jewish person in the first century. Sounds really exciting, eh? But, but hang with me, dig in here, because this is really, if you get a hold of this, this is really powerful and it's really significant. In the first century world, contrary to what some historians will, will tell you, um, Jewish peasants were among some of the most educated peasants of any culture in the world at that time. Um, if they were fortunate enough to live in a community with a synagogue and a local rabbi, then all children, boys and girls, started their formal education around the age of four or five in schools called Beit Hasefer, House of the Book. This was like elementary school, okay? And they would spend, it was called House of the Book because it was all about the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? That's the Torah for Jewish people. And uh, uh, they, would, they would spend years being taught to read and write the Torah. And they would, they would uh, commit large chunks of the Torah to memory. Memorizing was a significant part of their education because there was only one Torah school in every community. So you couldn't just go, you know, in fact, no, nobody could just walk into the synagogue and start thumbing through the, the, the Torah. It was a holy thing. And, and so, so in order to have access to the Torah, people needed to memorize large pieces of it. In fact, by the time they finished um, Beit Hasefer, a, a large number of the students would actually have memorized the entire Torah. All of the first five books, the Bible. And they would do that by around the age 12 or 13. And at this, at this age, 12 or 13, many of the students, or all of the students, would, would move on to boys would start to learn a trade, either the trade of their father or they would apprentice with someone in the community, and the girls would learn to manage a household. And they would be taught in the practical things of life, but those who had been exceptional students who had excelled in Beit HaSefer would go on to Beit HaMidrash, house of study. This was like high school, but only the very top of the class would get the access to, to this higher level of education to go on. 
They would learn their trade, boys only, sorry ladies. Um, they would learn their trade, but at the same time, they would learn to study the rest of the Old Testament and commit big chunks of that to memory, but also to study the interpretations of Scripture from other teachers. By the time they were 20 years old, those who excelled in the very top of, the, of that class, so the cream of the cream of the crop, those who excelled in that level would, would have the opportunity to go looking for a, a rabbi that they wanted to learn under. They would seek out this rabbi and they would basically make their case and plead with this rabbi to study under him. And they would, they, would have to, they would have to prove themselves. They would basically have entrance exams to prove themselves that they're worthy of studying under this rabbi. And, and the rabbi, out of all the people who were applying to come and study under him, would choose a few. The cream of the cream of the crop and, a, and only a select few of those would be chosen to study under this rabbi and to one day eventually maybe become a rabbi themselves. The, the student who would come to work and study under a rabbi was called a Talmud, or in or plural is Talmudin. Literally means disciple. They would be a Talmud under the rabbi. They would bind themselves to him as a servant. They would shadow him, follow him everywhere. And they didn't only want to learn things that he was teaching, but they wanted to learn his way of life. And so they would, they would stay close to him. They would follow him. They would copy him. They would mimic him. They would walk with him and learn his ways of speaking, his ways of life, so that one day they could become like him. So Jesus comes along, and rather than wait in his lofty tower for students to come and seek him out, Jesus goes seeking. And he goes to men who were already working a trade. They obviously had not made it through all of these hoops. They'd finished Beit Hasefer, but they probably had not made it into Beit Hamidrash, and they certainly had not yet made it any further than that. And he comes to these, these men who hadn't been chosen to go on to Midrash school. They had no aspirations to become the great spiritual leaders and teachers of the day. Jesus comes to the most unlikely candidates, tax collectors, fishermen, and rebels. And he did the unthinkable for a rabbi of that day. And he asked them to come follow him. To be his Talmudim, to be his disciples. 
And then by the time we get to Matthew 11, our passage, Jesus is well through his years of ministry. And as he's teaching, he opens up his invitation, not just to 12 unlikely candidates, but he opens up his invitation to everyone. And especially those who are weary and burdened and beat up by life. Incredibly unlikely candidates, you and I. And he opens it up to all that anyone can have the honor of taking the yoke of this rabbi to come and study. I don't, maybe I missed that earlier. I meant to say it. To, take, to become a, a, a disciple, a Talmud of a rabbi was called to take the yoke of the rabbi. To take the yoke of the rabbi. And we were all, Jesus opened up the invitation, anyone can have the honor of taking the yoke of this rabbi. He is a rabbi like no other, and his yoke is not a heavy one. But his invitation is that we would come and attach ourselves to him. Come and live with him. Watch him. Listen to him. See him in action. Come and not only learn his teachings, but learn his way of life so that we can become like him. In his um, great book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when the Bible speaks do I keep cutting out? Okay. When the Bible speaks of following Jesus, it is proclaiming a discipleship which will liberate mankind from all man-made dogmas, from every burden and oppression, from every anxiety and torture which afflicts the conscience. If they follow Jesus... Men escape from the hard yoke of their own laws and submit to the kindly yoke of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. When I was in grade Five. my teacher was Mr. Neal. When I was in grade seven, my teacher was Mr. Portinga. Say that ten times fast, right? Um, both of these men, both of these teachers were tough, no nonsense, but fair. You knew you weren't getting away with anything in their class. There were times when chalk flew. You weren't getting away with anything in their class. But, um, but you learned. You, you knew that if you, you'd better finish your assignments. You'd better do your homework. Because they were going to call you out. They were going to, you know, they, were, they weren't messing around. They were there to teach. 
grade six, in between these two, these two years, grade six, my teacher was Mr. Jackson. He was a, he was a great guy. He was a buddy to all of the students. He was so laid back. We would joke and laugh, and he'd tell stories. And if you didn't want to do your homework, ah, you do it tomorrow. Do it when you get to it. Right? He was so chill. Mr. Jackson. His class was mayhem sometimes. I remember one kid holding his breath till he passed out and fell on the floor and just crazy things happened in his class. But he was so, so chill and so relaxed. When I, oftentimes over the years, when I read this, Jesus says, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. I thought, oh, Jesus is like Mr. Jackson. He's just chill. He doesn't care what, you know, just, just you know, come at your own pace. But you know what? I didn't learn much from Mr. Jackson. I didn't do many of my assignments. I spent more time daydreaming and talking to the kids around me than listening to anything that he had to say. In fact, there was one, one time he did a, he did a test on a, on a section of, of science. And I realized as I'm doing that test, I don't remember one thing from this entire unit in science because I wasn't listening at all, right? And I, I, I came to realize over the last few years that I don't think Jesus was saying when he said, come and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. He wasn't talking about his teaching method. He was talking about his living method. It is amazing that God came to earth in the, in, in the, as a human, as one of us. It's amazing. But you know what's even more amazing? Is that God came and lived as one of us and he was the humblest person in history. I know if I had God's authority, I don't know that I would be very humble. I don't know that most of us would be very humble if we had the the kind of authority and power that Jesus had when he walked in this earth. But Jesus walked and lived in humility. He wasn't here to to demand his way or push his agenda on others. In fact, Jesus had no personal agenda but to walk in love and obedience to the Father. John 5 verse 19 says this. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son of Man... Or, sorry, the Son, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. We're talking about the Son of God here. 
And he says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that level of humility amazing? Jesus, when he was incarnated, when he became a baby in the womb of Mary, when, when God became incarnate in a human, the Bible tells us that he laid aside his glory And didn't just become like one of us, didn't just look like us, he was one of us. He didn't just look like a human, he was a human. He lived as a human. He had to struggle through life just like us. Jesus didn't go around using magic power to, to you know, when he, was, when, he, when, when he had to do his chores, when he had to muck out the stall or, or pick up his clothes, right? He, he did it just like the rest of us. When Jesus did the works of healing that he did as he walked on the earth, he did it as a man led by the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' secret was that he lived so close to the Father that at every moment his life was saturated with the Father's presence and Jesus was fully dependent on the leading and the power of God. He didn't take on anything the Father didn't send him to do. He only did what the Father, what he saw the Father doing. A few chapters later, three chapters later, Jesus said in John 8, 28 and 29, he said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So Jesus did nothing except what the Father, he saw the Father doing, and he spoke nothing except what he heard the Father saying. He was entirely dependent. He lived every moment dependent on the Father. When Jesus says that we are to come and learn the gentle and humble way, this is what he means. This is the secret, folks. In the same way Jesus lived continuously connected to and dependent on the Father, we are to live continuously connected to and dependent on on Jesus. He tells us this truth clearly 
in John 15. I'm going to read a bunch of verses here. If you want to follow along in your Bibles or Bible apps, you're welcome to do that. But otherwise, just just lean in and listen to these words that Jesus spoke. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine And you are the branches. He repeats that just in case we weren't clear, right? It's really important that we get that relationship clear. Because when branches think they're the vine, they get in a lot of trouble. Right? And we so often start to think we're our own source. We're our own answer. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's giving us the clue here, the the secret. The secret to bearing much fruit is remaining in him, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said about him and his father? Right? That the son can can do nothing on his own, but he can only do what the father, what he sees the father do. And then Jesus turns around and says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice there's a big if before there's the ask. Right? If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my Talmudim, my disciples. So Jesus invites us to remain in him like a branch remains in the vine. You ever see a branch go on vacation? Right? Just gonna unplug, take off for a while, leave the tree, I'll come back. Right? <laughs> yeah, they break and then they die, right? Yeah. But but branches need to stay plugged in. 
for the life to flow. And so often, folks, we, we try to produce the fruit of Christ without the life of Christ flowing through us. And it just doesn't work. We need to, we need to remain in Him. Our intimacy with Jesus will determine the fruitfulness of our lives. It will determine how we produce that fruit without huge levels of human effort. Right? How many times have you seen a branch just going, got to push out fruit, right? It just flows. It just happens. Because the life is flowing through it. Right? And yet so often we get caught up straining and struggling and striving to produce fruit that we can't produce in ourselves. But it comes from abiding in Him, remaining in Him. The fruit of His wisdom, His strength, His power comes when we abide in Him. And it's a discipline. It's a discipline that we have to learn. Because every one of us knows what it means to, you know, realize, oh, it's been, it's been hours, days, weeks since I've really paid attention to the presence of Jesus. Oh, I need to get my head back in that right space again, right? It's a discipline to learn to abide in His presence. To learn to live there. So that, so that when we stray, because we do and we will, but when we stray, it's, it's, not, it's not weeks, it's maybe not even days, but we begin to feel it in hours and we're, oh, I'm missing the one in whom I'm meant to abide. I'm missing Him. Oh yeah, I need to prioritize the presence of Jesus in my life. We're so easily distracted. We're so easily pulled back into trusting in our own understanding. The scripture, of course, tells us, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Right? This is not, this, that verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, is not, is 
like our main verse for this series, is not just a help me verse that we pull out when we're in trouble. Oh yeah, I need to trust the Lord. But if we learn to live that way, if we learn to live trusting in the Lord with all our heart, we learn to live not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging God's presence in every moment, in everything. We will live in straight paths, won't we? Instead of stumbling our way back there again and again. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given, can you say that with me? Has given, let's try that again, has given, His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. We are meant to live supernaturally resourced lives. We are meant to live lives with His divine power providing us everything we need. But oftentimes, we pack our own suitcase, we go on our own trip, and we leave His presence, His resources behind. Right? And when Jesus says, come and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, He's, I think, saying to us that if we stop thinking we're it and we've got to produce it and we've got to be it and we've got to walk it in our own strength and knowledge and understanding and we humble ourselves and understand that every moment we are dependent on the leading and the strength and the life and the hope and the peace and the joy and the power of Jesus flowing through our lives, if we can get to that place, then we will live in straight paths, right? We will live producing the fruit, not of my effort, but of His divine power. That's how we're meant to live. I want to take you to one more passage of Scripture that I think helps us understand this principle. It's in uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, near the end of the Old Testament. And uh, there's a picture. This is a, this is, this is a passage. Zechariah 4 is... It's a prophecy that had a level of fulfillment in the Jewish people, has a level of, of future fulfillment in, in the return of Christ. But I believe there's a principle here th that is for us as well. Zechariah chapter 4. I'm going to put this picture up here because it'll help us visualize what we're reading. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up. 
like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl and at the top, seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He said, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, not by human effort, but by my spirit. And this picture that, that, that is described here is one of two olive trees. If you, you know, you might wonder, wonder what's, what's the point of two trees being by these things. Well, olive oil is what is, was burned in the lamps, right? So what he's describing is these lamps that instead of having to continuously refill, refill, and refill these lamps, they're actually plugged right into the tree. And that the olive oil is flowing directly. That rather than through human effort to do what needed to be done, God was saying, you are meant to be plugged into the source of the oil so that you continuously have everything you need. Your fire never goes dim and it never goes out because you're plugged right into the source of the oil. Right? Not by might or by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Folks, I really believe that um, and I'm, I'm still on a journey. I, I mean, I wrote this book. I published the book three years ago. I started the book 12 years ago. God's been speaking these principles into my heart um, for, for years, for over a decade, and I'm still learning <laughs> big time. I still have to learn and be reminded again and again. But I believe what Jesus is telling us is that there is a way to live that we can actually have heaven's resources flowing through our lives. We don't need to end up in a place of being weary and burdened and empty. But we can actually live overflowing lives like a bottomless cup, right? But the key for us, we're going to talk next week about some of the, some of the, some of the things that drive us to keep reverting back to 
our way instead of his way. But the key for us is to realize that Jesus doesn't just want to take our lives as they are and add a little blessing. Just make it a little better. Right? In, in my, in my uh, EB Update devotional this week, how many of you read it? <laughs> wow. Um, so so this will be new for many of you. <laughs> um, I said that, uh, you know, what Jesus came to do for us was not like a child climbing a rock wall that just needs a little help to get to the top. But is more like an ant getting to Mars. Right? There's no way an ant is going to get to Mars without someone else's ingenuity and intention to help them get there. In fact, they can't even imagine a Mars. Folks, we can't even imagine without Christ. We can't even imagine the heavenly kingdom. We can't even imagine what God has in store for us. And there is no way any of us can get there on our own. Jesus didn't just come to give us a little boost up. He came to change our lives from the inside out. He came to make us new and make us different. And that's what it means to be a disciple, a Talmud of Jesus. To come and let him remake our lives so that we're not just adding a little Jesus to our effort. But we're actually letting him have all of us. And flow through our lives. And that the fruit that comes out of us is not because we tried harder, but it's because we got out of the way and let Jesus Do what he wanted to do through us. The power of grace at work in our lives. Amen. Let's stand. I want to pray with you. And uh, you know what? Um, as our, our ministry team is going to come, and make themselves available to pray with you. Um, I want to, it's been a couple weeks since I've had a chance to get out to the lobby, so I want to I wanna make my way out there. But the ministry team is going to come and make themselves available to pray with you today. And maybe today, um, you, need to, you need to say, I've been trying, I've been doing all this the wrong way. I've been doing it in my effort. I've been doing it, you know, when I got when I when when I got weary, I just pushed harder. I just tried harder. I just doubled down and did more. And maybe the Holy Spirit's getting your attention today to say, it's time to come to me, to rest 
from your effort and your weariness. And it's time to let me have my way. Come be my disciple and learn from me. Maybe you want to do that afresh today. Just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, let me be your disciple. I, I want to learn how to do this the right way. And maybe you've got some other need that you have this morning that you'd like prayer for. Our team believes in a miracle-working God, a way-making God, amen? So I'm going to invite you to come if you'd like prayer this morning. Um, just uh, commit yourself in a fresh way to, to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to take the yoke of Jesus. Father, I thank You for Your love. Thank You that You are so faithful in our lives. That Jesus, You came seeking us. That You didn't have some entrance exam before we could be your followers, but you just threw your arms open and said, come. Thank you that we can find hope and peace and rest and joy in you. God, I pray that if we've been striving in our own effort, that we would repent of that today. That we would lay it all down and we would come to you in a fresh way. Say, Jesus, teach me. Teach me to walk this Jesus way so that I can have life. In your name we ask. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, how many of you know that God loves you so much he doesn't leave you where you're at? How many of you know that God loves you so much he doesn't leave you right where you're at? So he's calling you higher, closer. So I pray that this today as we've had our worship service and our meal from the word, that Holy Spirit has given you your homework for the week, whatever that is. I'm not giving it to you. God's been talking to you already. He's already given you your homework. So as you go from here, remember that. Be encouraged. Prayer ministry is available now. Also, uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, there's prayer here tonight, and, and tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, Alpha here. So um, make sure you're remembering that. I, if you could also be praying for Pastor Andrew and I this afternoon, we're going to one of our sister churches, Tabison Tech, and going to be ministering there. So uh, that's happening too. Have a blessed week. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to be leaning into him for your rest. Coming to him. He's got more than enough for you. Bless you.